0: With occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Mary King. And today again I have the lovely Margaret Sheldon. Welcome, Margaret. Good How morning. Are you? I uh, you know, I'm good. I'm
1: one I'm one vaccine into this Ooh. process, which makes me a little giddy.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's all good. Nice, nice. And today we have Barney Levitt. So I'm going to let you introduce Barney since you know Barney, although I have admired his work from afar.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell us. about. Well, let me start by adjusting my window. Let (laughs) me start by saying, um, I don't know how many years ago I met Barney. I think this last year's interrupted my usual accuracy when it comes to history. But it had to have been, what, six years ago or so, maybe seven, Barney? That sounds about right. I think yeah. it was
2: about right, five or six years ago, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. My, my art group that gets together and does critiques is sort of based in, in, in and around Newton. And anyway, long story short, there's Newton Open Studios. And the first year I participated, um, some of the other artists were like, oh, you're really going to like Barney's work. And I thought, who is this Barney? <laughs> what? <laughs> And sure enough, Barney showed up and uh, I'll tell you, Barney, you made an impression right out of the gate because the rest of us are sort of hanging, you know, our paintings on these wobbly walls and trying to drag six foot tables along. And Barney shows up with like a setup and lights, lights that actually sort of hung. They were like sconces, armed sconces (laughs) off the walls and and threw light down onto his paintings, which were gorgeous to begin with. And, uh, well, needless to say, I sort of realized we had a, a much more professional approach <laughs> in Barney than we did in the rest of us. And I don't know, after that, I think, is it fair to say, I think we just liked each other?
2: Absolutely. Uh, reflect right from I the just start. I liked
1: Barney from the get-go, you know, during downtimes. So that, you know, led me to, because Barney is not a man to brag, I'm going to let him tell us a bit about, you know, his sort of history and And uh, how he sort of got here in terms of art. But I think that when I found out you were in the Copley Society, which I had just gotten into, I was impressed. Then, you know, I found out he was a Copley master, which, if you go to artist openings at the Copley Society, you hear a lot of people longing to get their master status. It's it's the topic. It's like, well, I'm close. I need another one. I haven't done it yet. I've been trying for 20 years. (laughs) And then I thought, it's like, wait a minute, Barney has CM after his name. Is that? And sure enough, Barney's probably master, which is much deserved because his work is exquisite. I hope everyone who's listening to this interview will Pop up their phone or their computer and take a look. It's um, barneylevitt.com. Is that right? That's correct. The yeah, yeah,
2: that's right.
1: B a r n e y l e v i t t. Because yeah. you'll really appreciate our talk more, I think, if you can look now, at his it, work and understand.
0: Look or his Instagram. Look up his Instagram, Barney Levitt. Oh right. Why not? While well, we're talking, because um, because Barney's um, a realist oil painter, and I have to say you do some very unusual things. So, you know, I am just dying to know how you came to all of this. And uh, so like Margaret said, we'll let you take the wheel. And, and But I always like you to start, tell me what you did as a youngster, like your first, the first things you remember doing. Artistic.
2: It, it's funny because I was thinking back and there's one moment that really stands out. I think I was in first grade where I won a gold ribbon for a painting, which I remember was a man feeding birds from a, like a silver platter. And I got a gold ribbon and it just, I was wowed by that. And little did I know, probably everyone else in the class got a ribbon as well. But <laughs> to me, it was just like, wow, that I was just so excited. And, you know, I was pretty introverted as a kid. So I was always drawing. Mm. And um, I guess when I was about 12 years old, my aunt, who was also a painter, uh, gave me my first easel instead of oil paints. So, um, and she was very encouraging of my work. And my mother was more encouraging, more so than my father. Um, but I was always drawing. I mean, I, there wasn't, I can't remember a time when I wasn't drawing. So that was sort of early. And, you know, and I, I was able to take um, art classes at a local art center in town, which was also, I, I just remember loving it. And then, you know, Mrs. Goff in, I think, second grade would come around with her little cart with her art supplies on it. And I always just was so exciting. So I was, I, from an early, early age, visually, I was just always so into drawing and painting. So that's sort of how I got my start. And and then, of course, I went on to uh, school and went to the State University of New York at Oswego up on Lake Ontario, uh, north of Syracuse and majored in painting and drawing, got my degree in painting oh, and drawing.
0: Wonderful. And, we uh,
2: and Oh my God, the, the wind is coming off Lake Ontario. <laughs> I can remember walking across campus with this, these, you know, those bulky black portfolios with the winds blowing at 60 miles an hour. And I, I swear, I thought I was gonna be blown halfway across campus half the time. But yeah, so that's, that's where I got my start.
1: That's so So cool. I'm struck by how many um, artists, how many of us is what I really want to say. Like one word of encouragement, one, you know, ribbon, somebody telling you you're good at something Mm -hmm. and you, especially if it's not your family, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's that outside kind of encouragement and validation, it can mean so much. Like you identify with it. You start thinking that's, Maybe that's the thing I am good at. And it gives you such courage. It makes me want to be more generous with compliments. It does. It really does.
2: It's so true. And when I I went to school, I had one professor in particular, uh, Robert Sullins, who was a realist painter at the time. And realism, when I was at school, which was from 73 to 78, um, realism was not the thing to be doing. But he was a realist painter, and he really liked my work, and he taught me a lot, and he just was so encouraging of my work, and that that really was a boost to, to you know, realizing this is really what I love doing. So
0: yeah, yeah. Did you, I'm so you to know? Sorry, I'm curious to know. Did you explore with the abstract stuff? That
2: was you know, I didn't. I, I, you know, I would look at it and I just, I didn't develop an appreciation for it at the time. And there was actually a visiting artist that came to talk to our classes, a Judy Chicago from New York. I don't know if she was a feminist painter the, the, way back. The Dinner Plate Project or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. she came and spoke to us and I was fascinated by her work. Um, but it's just not the way I saw the world. It's just not the way I worked. So, no, and to answer your question, no ab- abstract painting just didn't, didn't make a dent in my perception much, so.
1: There were a few of us out there.
2: Yeah, there were a few nerd.
1: You you and I really could have been in the same class. (laughs) 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 So after college, I mean, here's the dilemma, right? We hear this, well, I speak this all the time. You kind of get toward the end, and unless you want to go into teaching or to get an MFA so you can be a professor, you kind of have to try to figure it out. And I know the punchline to the story, which is that you went to ski for a few years. <laughs> I did.
2: What do you do with an art degree? You go out and be a ski bum in Colorado. They, and so that's what I did for three years. I went out and I taught, I was a ski instructor at Steamboat Springs, Colorado for, for several years.
1: But fun.
2: And, you know, I continued to draw and paint and do my own little projects, but I, I didn't take it seriously. I mean, I was having way too much fun. I'm in my <laughs> early 20s out in Colorado being really? a sand It was just a blast. So, I you. you know, I, I, I put the art thing sort of on hold, even though I was doing it somewhat. But um, no, that's, that's what I was doing right after, right after I got my degree in painting and drawing. So. I'm going
1: to be the first one to say I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think there's something really good about being a young person and not, I mean, today, so many, I can only speak to like my kids, their friends, everyone is so driven. Like they kind of know what they want and they kind of, they're, they're all smart as can be, but they're trying to figure it out and they get into the working world. And I don't see any, I don't see a lot of kids or their families supporting, you know, the time off to kind of.
2: Have fun.
1: I have to well, I think that. that's
2: true. I think there's, there's so much more pressure today, I think, to <clears> succeed <throat> and to, you know, find your, your direction early on. And my parents, I have to say, were very open to letting us just be what we wanted to be and do what we wanted to do. And I, I, I'm so appreciative of that. So um, there was never too much pressure put on me.
1: So I have a question for you. And obviously, this is sort of in the back of your mind as you're doing other things, <clears throat> as we all were, you know, you're sort of still drawing, you're still kind of, even if it's just the little noodling around that, happens when you sit with a piece of paper did you keep any of those drawings from that it's
2: funny because i lived in a little cabin without running water on a farm and one the celebrity of the farm was mary the goat and i remember doing a very large oil painting of mary the goat so yes that i brought it i carted that painting around with me for years and it actually ended up selling like 20 years later here in boston somebody bought mary the goat she they I love she loved the painting, so mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I I continued to do it somewhat, but like I said, I didn't take it seriously at the time.
0: Were uh, you when you were you know skiing? Were you thinking about next steps? Were you thinking how were you were you confused about what the next steps might be artistically, or was it just kind of on the back burner entirely? Like,
2: it was on the back burner. I I mean, I continued to do it because I just have always loved drawing and painting. Mm-hmm but I wasn't thinking in terms of career at that point. I mean, I was in my twenties and I was just having too much fun. And (laughs) um, yeah, I I have to say it wasn't until I moved to Boston after that,
0: you know, I
2: bartended for a number of years in Faneuil Hall, but Mm -hmm. then it's when I applied to Copley Society of Art, when I got accepted as a full member in 2004, that's when my perception changed completely. I, and that's when I took myself seriously, took my art seriously and made it a tremendous effort to build up a body of work at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. When you say you made a tremendous effort, did you decide, you know, you wanted to complete a series or you had like a number of paintings or that you were going to paint for a year every day for five hours a day? What, how did you define that?
2: So what I decided was that setting up a little studio in my house, I would devote as much time as I possibly could to painting. And um, it wasn't too soon, it wasn't too late after I was accepted into Copeland Society that I got a call from a gallery, um, Addison Gallery on the Cape, and um, that wanted to see my work. And so that, I mean, it just sort of snowballed from there where people seemed truly interested in my work. And I was selling quite well in the early years at Copley, uh, the small work show. Mm -hmm. So it just, you know, it just, it all snowballed. And I kept, you know, so that's when I really started taking it seriously. That's great.
0: So what what was your subject matter like throughout school? And, you know, how did it,
2: it was it was more traditional sort of still life work, um, but I, I must say that some of the figure drawing classes at school, I loved the figure drawing classes because I tend to work quite tightly and very detailed, and those three minutes, you know, loosening up, you know, those sessions really you force you same, not right? to be tight. <laughs> yeah. And um, I really liked it, and it was good for me. Although I have not done it since, and I really need to get back to that because my work is so tight. Um, and I probably need, like, I I look at Margaret's work and the brush work. I'm just so I wish I could paint that way. Okay. I it's just it's not the way I work.
0: So I did. You watch can a video. I watched your video, and you hold your brush like I yes. would hold a pen. And yes. I, I was so amazed. I thought, wow. That, it, it, to me, would be, I think, really difficult to paint that kind like, of fling it like this. You know? <laughs> like, it's okay. so
2: funny, Laura, you say that because a couple other people have mentioned when they watch that video, they say, I've really noticed the way you hold your brush. And I was like, really? <laughs> and it, somebody pointed it out to me. Yeah, I, I work really tightly and really, really detailed. So. Swingy.
0: i Go, go back and uh, uh,
2: brush a half inch a day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <Like a> diet. <laughs> you no
0: know, I have to say,
1: it's funny. You always notice, like, people have their habit, however it is. I'm trying to think. I don't even know how I hold my brush. I'd have to wa- consciously look when I'm doing it. But, you know, we all have seen uh, the people who... I, I'm, I'm trying not to be critical here. The people who think they're doing it the right way because they've been told to hold it by the tip and stay far away, well, that's fine. I think there's a lot to be said for getting, you know, way back from your painting, even, you know, the folks who walk across the room for every stroke, a la Sargent, why not? Yeah. But Carol Marine, who has to be one of the freshest, loosest painters you'd ever want to see. And when I I've watched... Carol paint a number of times, and she holds it like a pen-ish, a little more distance from the hairs to you, but she very much has a a wrist motion, not an arm motion. So I think at the end of the day, probably not the brush, (laughs) it's (laughs) probably the brain. I think that's what I'm thinking.
2: Yeah, I um, agree. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think whatever works for you is the right way. You Just know, get there. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, there's a painter out in, uh, well, he was at the time out in Idaho in Driggs by the name of Scott Powers. And um, I had gone out to do a workshop. This is years ago when Scott Christensen did the long workshops. And Scott was great because it's a fully immersive kind of experience. Anyway, long story short, he took us to this guy's get, you know, gallery slash studio, which was kind of like this big, huge dark cave. There were so few lights. I I wanted to turn my iPhone on, you know, to get to where we were going. But he had his, his, as detailed as you are, Barney. these beautifully big, detailed figurative works, you know, of like women in the marketplace in Mexico. And he had more two-haired brushes than I'd ever seen. But the thing that knocked me out was that he also had, I don't know what it's called, the thing that a jeweler wears. Oh like yeah. A piece to look at stones. Mm-hmm. And he would put that on wow. to do the, and I thought.
2: Wow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, I, I haven't gotten it. to that point yet, but that that's <laughs> incredible. And you know, from all this detailed work and working with like, you know, triple-aught brushes, I'll probably be blind by the time I'm eighty, so you'll just just get your cataract done. There you go. There you go.
0: So back up for a second, because I'm really intrigued by what you said. Um, To say, I mean, you paint so beautifully, and yet you're you're saying, "Oh, it's just so tight. I'd love to paint loose." How far do you mean that statement when you say, "I'd love to paint loose"? Is it something you actually explored with, or want to explore with, or are you just totally happy? with where
2: you are. I'm happy with where I am. I, I realize when, when I see somebody like Margaret's paintings or somebody with these beautiful, you know, loose brush strokes, it, yeah. I, I, I really admire that. Okay. It's <laughs> just not the way I work. And I, you know, as much as I would try to do that, I know that's just not me. That's just not the way I work. Um, I'm a realist painter and I really like to get every little detail that I can when I'm painting. I mean, it starts out with sort of a loose underpainting. Mm-hmm. I start out with like a burnt uh, sienna underpainting, which is somewhat loose, just to get the basic architecture down. Mm-hmm. But from there, the layers build up more and more detailed as as you know the layers progress. So I
0: asked because you know I often look at other people's works with great admiration, admiration and say, "Gee, I would like to," rather than just be content with the painter I am. Right. Sometimes we struggle with that. We're like, oh, I should be able to. I should learn to hold my brush back here.
2: Right. Right.
0: Like, well, well, why? If we're content and happy with what we're doing. So I. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. True. True.
0: I have to say, anyone
1: looking at your work is missing something if they're not reading the titles. Oh, right. (laughs) Because the way you title these works are, it's like, I won't say it's half the pleasure because it's not half, but it's a good solid 10 or 20%. <laughs> I feel like once I read the title, it's like I'm in on the, the joke almost yeah. again. Yeah. And <clears throat> that being said, you have a painting that I would have said to you, Barney, I have to buy this. Thank God it's sold.
2: But it's the <laughs> one
1: that's your quarantined painting?
2: Yes, with, yes.
1: I mean, the, the whole there's a whole story. It's, I should, for anyone who's listening, I should tell you it's this absolutely gorgeous blue sky, puffy, what I always think of as like these puffy, high, you know, cumulus, I suppose, clouds, two yellow birds. I don't know what kind of birds they are. I'm not, maybe they're finches. I don't know.
2: They're finches, yes.
1: And they're sitting on an old tool, which I believe is a vice, right? It's the thing that- It's do. a wrench. Oh, okay, it's a wrench. See, I'm going to with this, and there's a nest. And there's, if you keep looking, the wood that it's sitting on is exquisite. The rusted blades are exquisite. There's one egg that's fallen from the nest, and the two birds are at opposite <laughs> ends of the <laughs> canvas looking at one another. And I feel like, yeah, that's been 2020 for
2: me. Yeah, <laughs> totally yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so gorgeous. I'm, I'm so glad that. You- To me, titles are important, and you know, I I think we had a discussion at one point uh, before where we talked about that. And a lot of people that, you know, I'll do a lot of open studio events, and people that they'll comment on a painting and really love it, and I say, "Well, did you read the title?" And then they say, "No," and then they go up, and then they'll laugh, and it's like, "Why didn't I always read titles when I when I look at paintings?" And not do too. Uh, At least I, to see
1: the price. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's not that titles, I mean, people should be able to interpret however they want to interpret a painting. But I also think that titles can give you insight that you normally wouldn't have to a piece. And a lot of my paintings do have a narrative sort of line to them. And a titles can sort of clue you into that.
1: Without a doubt. There's such a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, what I appreciate. Yeah, I love
0: the gumball machine. With
2: the- oh, with the chattering teeth. Yeah, <laughs> humor played a big part. I mean, humor was huge in my family. They were, they're all jokesters, and humor was just such a big part of growing up. And, you know, art doesn't always have to be so deadly serious. You can have fun with it, and 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 that's sort of my take on it. I just, I really like injecting humor into a lot of my pieces.
0: When did you start feeling comfortable to do that?
2: In- injecting... Yeah, the humor. Uh, you know, I you know, I my a lot of my early still lifes were like I said, sort of uh, academic pieces, um, and I still do those. I, I you know, you know, I may emphasize the light or the particular object, but it, like it's a more academic uh, situation as opposed to like having a narrative line. But then you know, I started looking at at painters like there's a painter Scott Fraser. Uh, out of Cal- Colorado who does these incredible, he juxtaposes these objects you would never expect to find in, in, in a composition in such a strong narrative line to his work. And there's also, I'm forgetting his first name, but Jackson, who does these balloon animals with- just, Oh, I've
1: seen those. Oh,
2: they're just so fun. They're so yeah. fun. Yeah. And, you know, and I I can really appreciate that. And that's I started doing more and more of more and more paintings that have a a strong narrative line with humor in it as well. So
1: how do you organize all of your props? Because you must have games and dishes and toys and
2: you wouldn't believe. I have shelves and shelves of like bird nests and old rusted tools and oh my God, everything, you name it, it's in my studio on these tiered uh, shelves that I keep. Um, I'm always looking at, you know, scouring, uh, you know, antique shops and rummage sales. And I'm always looking for objects that, you know, and I, I also like to paint, you know, things that have sort of nostalgic value, like old typewriters or telephones sure. or record players and, so that's always fun. Nostalgia plays a big p- a part in my a lot of my paintings as well.
1: I can just imagine everyone saving things for Barney in your oh. family. Oh, we got to save this.
2: <laughs> I actually I have never painted this, but I actually have a monkey skull ceremonial headdress from t- Taiwan, which dates back forever. And it, it's sort of falling apart at this point. But... It's, it's just one of those objects people would look at it and say, What the hell is this?
0: So. <laughs> <to> my world. <laughs> yeah. And do you, yeah. have clutter? do you ever have to choose at some point, like, This is too much, I have to get rid of some? <laughs>
2: yeah, I do. I have to go through and, and sort of weed things out because it, otherwise I'd, I'd have to ha- add another addition to the house to store everything. So. Go.
0: I- I've
1: got to say, I cannot believe anyone who paints as cleanly. As you do, like now I have a million questions that just popped into my brain. Um, but you've got to be a fairly neat guy.
2: I am fairly neat. I, you know, I look at other people's studios, and again, it's like I should be a little messier than I am. I mean, but you know, I actually am embarrassed when people walk into my studio space because I'm sort of lazy. When I moved in and converted one of the bedrooms into a studio space, it had white wall-to-wall carpeting in my studio, which it still has. And now it has stains everywhere on the carpet. I'm just, you know. And so when people walk in, it's like, this is your studio? You have white wall-to-wall carpeting in your
1: studio? It's kind of like, you know, you're you're flipping the bird to the
0: universe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Watch this. (laughs) All right, here's another question that I'm, I've probably, without knowing it, I've had this question for 35 years. So when you see things as clearly as you do and you study them, because you, you must really look if you're gonna be able to paint them, as you, know, you really articulate the surface, the difference in the texture, the color, blah, blah, blah. I used to, when I was much younger and I was trying to paint like you do, trying, I would find it's exhausting to be look, cause I wouldn't be able to turn it off and I'd be looking at the world like that. So I'd be going for a walk and I'd be looking at the different values on things. And I would like, I would be sitting having breakfast and I'd be looking at the sugar bowl going, Oh, look at that. the light is reflecting, that's what, and after a while, like my brain was just, I think I, I saturated. I, I, I wired out. Yeah, Did no you it, ever it, get it, fatigue.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like, I will lose myself in painting, I'm sure, as most painters do, and, you know, time vanishes. But at the end of a session, when I say, okay, I've, I've, this is it, I've been at it for eight, nine hours, I, it is so mentally exhausting to have that sort of intense focus on a particular object and every little, you know, blade of grass, every little, yeah, it it's totally draining.
1: It's draining. No one can... Um, you can't overestimate, I think, physically what it can take out of Absolutely. you.
2: Absolutely. In it. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah. Tommy, um, why did you choose the bedroom to set up in that you did? Because I understand it faces west, and you like the west. Yes,
2: area. it faces west. It had. It, it's one of the rooms in the house that has the most light, and I've always worked from west light. And mm-hmm. in, in my old place, I also worked from west light. I like. I like the strong afternoon shadows on my still lifes. I like, I like that contrast. I, I know that everyone says north light's the best. It's the most consistent light throughout the day. But I really like that strong sense of uh, dark and, and light in and the shadows that it creates. So that's why I chose that particular bedroom for, for my I studio.
0: I like yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I do too. It's kind of refreshing. Like, oh, you don't have to.
2: I'm so unconventional when it comes to the shoulds and shoulds not do of the art world. So,
0: so can you tell us a little more about, I know you just, what is, um, tell us where you just did a video about your process. You start yeah, about that detail, yeah
2: I, I, as Margaret knows, I'm struggling with social media and marketing. And I, I know that videos are a huge plus when you're, when you're posting on social media. So, so that video that I did of the process it took me a long time to figure out how to do it and to get it onto social media. But that was the impetus for, for doing that particular video. And I I think people are fascinated by seeing the process.
0: And where can they find it?
2: They can find it on my website, um, uh, which is barneylevitt.com and um yeah both both my videos are on my website one actually shows my uh studio with the shelving with all my still life objects on it
0: but did you mention you did an interview i
2: did an interview i just had a solo show at uh gallery twist in lexington mass and they did an interview with me and i they actually showed those videos. And also they zeroed in on some of my paintings and had me talk about particular paintings that were in the show. Mm -hmm.
0: So I'm I'm really interested to know um, know, how you set these up. Do you you ever use photo reference or? or I do
2: use photo reference. Um, I use both. When I'm doing still life setups, I like to work from life, but it's nice to have photo reference just to cross check. but, you know, as we all know, photographs don't tell the whole picture. And so, yeah, I'll do these setups. I, I have a stand and a particular platform that I set all my still lifes up on and try to paint from real life when the light's right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it goes beyond that time and I want to keep working. So I'll use photo reference as well.
0: Oh, OK. And What about your boy sitting on the moose? What yeah. Is- you
2: know, a lot of those <laughs> whimsical pieces um, I use photoshop to put different elements together and play around in photoshop to get these crazy juxtapositions that's which i have a lot of fun with um scenes that of course you'd never see but yeah i i I use uh photoshop as a as a tool
1: it's amazing yeah um i wanted to go back to your galleries for a minute because you know well Anyone who's listening to this show, if they're a practicing artist, they always have questions about galleries. Uh, But you're interesting, especially to me, because I know you started with Addison. Um, From what I can see, you've still got more than one on the Cape and then a few in Boston. It's like, do you have a hard time? Are there too many masters? In other words, is it, are you okay? keeping your relationship with all of them? Do you have to manage that? How does it work for you in terms of having more than one, you know, well it was difficult.
2: Kids? It was difficult with Addison because she wanted us to sign a contract, which gave her exclusive rights to our work. And I I wouldn't sign that. Yeah I was with her for seven years and I give her a lot of credit. She runs an incredible gallery and she's an she's a master at marketing. Yeah. And she she was really, really um helpful to me during yeah, those years. it's a great
1: gallery, sure. It's a
2: great gallery. Yeah. Um, but I can't be restricted like that. And so the galleries I'm with right now, the gallery owners are incredibly flexible and do not put any restrictions on me at all. Mm-hmm. I think the only restriction, I'm actually in two Cape Cod galleries and normally Helen would not allow that. Helen Addison would not allow us to, to be part of two. Yeah, develop.
1: there's usually, a lot of times there's a geographical distance. Right.
2: Right, right. But the gallery owners or the galleries I'm with right now do not put any restrictions on me, which is really helpful. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, one a of those. A
1: testament to your work, my friend. What's that? <laughs> I say it's a testament to your work.
2: Well, I, I, yeah, I appreciate They that.
1: want your work, so they're working with you. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. They, they've, been, they've been great. They've been great. And, you know, one of those, Gallery Antonio, which is in Chatham, Mm-hmm. Mass, and then the Stuart Clifford Gallery in Provincetown, Mass.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: And so they've been, they've been great representing my work. And also, of course, Gallery Twist, which has about five shows a year. If you ever get the chance, go to her shows because she, she curates them in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. She adds props to her paintings which are so fun and she's so clever with these props. So if you get a chance to ever go to any of her shows. You should
1: describe where the gallery is set because I think that's really
2: unique. It is, it's set in a, a beautiful Victorian home. As you enter, there's a double staircase going up. She has artwork in all these separate rooms throughout her, the entire house. And it is such a beautiful setting to see artwork. And and just the fact that she she incorporates all these really fun props for yeah. for all the paintings it's really it's very unique. That so sounds very cool.
0: But You said yeah. Lexington like, mask,
2: right? Lexington yeah. Lexington mask. And I also got really great news this morning actually. I I became active with a new gallery in Palm Springs, California. It's called Fusion Art in mm-hmm. Palm Springs. And I just won Best of Show. It's an international <gasps> show. And I was like, this right. can't be happening. Congratulations.
0: Be Thank so you. Right.
2: Thank you. I was shocked. I was shocked because it isn't an international show. And it's just, there were a lot of entries. And I was just like, wait, they, they must have made a mistake here. This can't be <laughs> happen. But yeah, I was, was really... The artist says, who, me? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like Sally Fields, they like me. They really like <laughs> me. <laughs> I
1: guess I will keep doing this for a living. <laughs> That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, oh, I was Barbie. very
2: excited. I was really excited. That
0: sounds like a lot of with, all of those galleries. That sounds...
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel that to, to get my work out to as many people and audiences and venues as I can one thing I absolutely miss more than anything is the open studios events and obviously because of the COVID hell we've been in we can't participate in those because what I'm doing right now with you is what I love doing you know talking about your art to the public talking it to the pe- people you know explaining things and I haven't been able to do that so this is really refreshing so I really thank you for this interview
0: Wonderful. Hey, what brought you out of your shell? You said you were so quiet as a youngster, and look at you now, was it- art? Well,
2: I had to learn that, Laura. I really <laughs> had to learn how to come out of my shell and, and learn to yeah. public speak. And uh,
0: But was it skiing or art? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Do you well, still ski? I do, actually- I feel absolutely exhilarated. I went for a full day of skiing at Loon Mountain yesterday and feel rejuvenated completely. It was yeah, great. Huh? Skied for eight straight hours.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: wow.
2: Yeah.
1: I came home and painted for another eight, right? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> won an international award. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Barney, what's a typical day like for you? I mean, when you're not skiing, like, are you an early riser? Do you eat three meals a day and take a break in the middle of painting like
2: what's it like I am a very early riser I usually have pr- you know right now I have seven paintings in pro- in in progress <laughs> I've got two commissions which I have to get out and get done um that's not typical I usually only do about five or six commissions a year I mm-hmm. I don't particularly like doing commission work no I, I'd rather do my own work mm-hmm. but I always have projects lined up I I have a folder that I keep ideas and, and titles going all the time. So there's never enough time in the day to to get to everything I want to get to. My biggest problem is balancing painting with the marketing pieces, stuff and things. So that's, that's the hard part for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you use anything in particular to help you um, know where all of your paintings are?
2: I, I keep pretty close track. I, I keep pretty good records on where everything is.
0: Mm.
2: Like I actually have uh, 30 paintings coming back from Twist Gallery today. So yeah, I, I keep pretty good records.
0: Yeah, that ends a lot. I'm
2: amazed. When you don't ski, what do you do for exercise? Oh, run. <laughs> I run, run. I, I actually our house abuts Hopkinton State Park.
1: Oh, so I, I
2: usually get a four mile run in you know, three, four times a week. Every the artist I know. Yeah, yeah. And I actually I've recently started yoga sessions and first thing in the morning, which is helpful. Yeah. Because yeah. I know once I sit down at that easel, yeah, I'm done. I, I have to get my exercise done first thing in the day, otherwise forget it. Yeah. yeah.
0: You it's don't ever just take a break and go run,
2: or yeah.
0: you won't come back, is that it? Yeah, right. <laughs> But well,
1: plus don't you feel like that it can sort of if it's in the middle of the day it interrupts the
2: It does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and once I sit down at the easel I'm just like a prisoner. I I just uh, you know I lose track of time. I can't stop in the middle of a painting to go for a run. It just it just I get too exactly. caught up in the painting. These are so pretty.
1: Do you always paint on panels or do you paint on stretched canvas?
2: I I do. I'd say I probably do more on my own stretched canvases, but I do a fair number on panels as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Interesting. Because it's all part of like how you structure your day or your week or the month, right? How much time do you spend preparing canvases? How much time do you, are you the framer? Is the gallery the framer? Is the buyer the framer? I mean, there's all of that that goes into it. I mean, it's a lot of work. You're yeah. doing a great job on social media. Don't you worry.
2: Oh, I don't know about that. You've gotten <laughs> me through some tough...
1: <laughs> anytime, anytime, anytime. Well, uh, what's next? That's that's always an interesting one. Do you have something that you're just burning to paint?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm gravitating more and more towards the narrative pieces, the ones that are fun, that tell a story. I think the ones that really... You know, people I think initially see my paintings uh, and, and notice the detail and the realism, but when they start really looking, there's a, a lot of times there's a story. Sure. So yeah, I, wa- I just want to keep continuing to do those because I love doing those.
1: I was going, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to finish this thought. I was going to ask if you read a lot because it seems to me to have all these ideas and stories in your head sometimes, reading helps us but by the time you finished talking about your narratives the question I want to ask is would you ever write a book and illustrate it with your paintings?
2: It's so funny you say that yeah I actually have a, a sister-in-law who is really wants to collaborate with me on doing that and I've so many people look at my paintings and say oh my god this is a story you could write a children's book And I've always loved writing. I still write personal letters to the few friends that still like writing as an art. Yeah. And yes, I'm an avid reader. I'm totally addicted to fiction uh, writing and reading all the time.
1: All right. I'll wait for the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My uh, question is a little similar. Just how do you come up with your ideas? I mean, are they the, do you come up with them and then you go find the props or are you playing around with props and you come up with ideas or a kind of a combination?
2: It's a combination. A, I a lot of times we'll play around with the different props and different positions and take things and move them around. Sometimes words, a title or something will strike me and I'll just make a note of it and try to fit a painting composition to the title. Oh. So it's, it, it really does vary. Oh,
0: that's interesting, yeah. That's great. And so you do have a show right now at Copley. Is that right?
2: Uh, Yes, there is the Winter Members Show, which is happening right now at the Copley Society. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. And tell us about your book. It is titled Life Stills, A Portfolio of Frozen Moments in Time.
2: Yeah, I put that together years and years ago. It's funny. You know, it's one of those self-published books with blurb. Mm-hmm. um nice. and I just thought it would be fun to have that as an additional thing at open studios events where people could actually if they didn't want to spend the money for a, a painting they could at least have a book with my different uh paintings in it so I haven't done anything since that book is probably probably about 10 years old at this point nice. So, mm.
1: uh, are you doing prints of your paintings
2: uh it's funny I at open studios events, I would sell eight by 10 prints mm-hmm. um, of work that had already sold. I won't do prints of paintings that have not sold, but um, I'm not big into doing a lot of uh, reproductions, but it's nice, it's nice to have that price point for people um, if they can't afford an original painting to have, you know, a little eight by 10 of an original painting. Um,
1: I feel as conflicted as, as you I think I'm seeing you feel conflicted. Yeah, yeah. You know, prints are great. The reason I asked is because so often especially in the last year, you know, people are trying to sort of make rent sort of thing, you know, for their studios or buy more supplies or sales are definitely It's not a typical year. So I hear more and more conversation about diversifying your revenue stream. And what you always hear is, oh, you should be doing some prints so that there's an affordable price point. You should be, you know, for God's sake, they probably put it on a hat and try to sell it. (laughs) But and, And after a while, I think, you know, I think going forward, I think a better approach is save for a rainy day, because now we've seen that you can get a storm for a whole year, but you know, you sort of need to have your cushion and then maybe, I don't know, paint what you want to paint. I almost feel like the prints can distract from the sale of the paintings. I agree. in a way. I, um, I
2: agree. I agree with that. I don't
1: know that it devalues them at all. I don't think that's true, but I just think it's a distraction.
2: I agree. I agree with that, but like I said, it's it's nice if if like at an open studios event and you, and people just they often will say to me, "I love your work, but can't afford it." We've all heard that line before. So here you go. There's there's a little eight by ten print for next to nothing. Here you yeah. go. So. Do you,
1: would you offer them a payment plan?
2: I do. I often do. Yeah, I'm very flexible around that. I mean, I, I totally understand. It's a it's a it's a, it's a commitment. You know that. Yeah. It's, a lot of people who normally don't buy art, especially in non-gallery settings, you know, they, that's a stretch for them. And so I I'm so, i often will say to them, you tell me what you can afford a month and I'm fine with it. I, I've had people take up to a year to pay me for a painting and I'm fine with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> especially if they make those payment schedules. <laughs> yeah, right. a little nervous when they miss one.
2: <laughs> right. Like, yeah. What's
0: your commissions? What are people asking you to do? Are they coming with you know? Possessions?
2: A lot of a lot of times they'll go to my website and see that a painting is already sold and say, "Oh, I really want you to do something just like that," um, which is actually two commissions I'm doing right now is fits that uh, description. Um, but a lot of times they'll want me to paint. You know, oh, my wife likes she's a birder and wants me to do a red-tailed hawk, and so. You know, I'll do that. I mean, I, I just love the process of painting, so no. I, I don't mind. But, of course, I'd rather be doing my own my own work.
1: Oh, so. Well, it's beautiful. It's Thank so you. Beautiful.
2: Thank you. And it, if you don't mind, if I have a quick minute, I'd like to mention a couple contemporary artists that I just... Yes. Maybe you've heard of them, but if you haven't, you should oh. check their work.
1: Take pencil time. Ready. Yeah.
2: I mean, I... I have a list mile long, but I'll just name a few. Yeah, your um, favorite. Whose work? I I'm always looking at work. I'm on Instagram, and I most of the people I follow are other artists or galleries. So I'm constantly looking at artwork all the time. Absolutely. Who is it? One figurative uh, realist painter is by the name of Andrea Couch. K- it's her last name K O W C H. She I think she's based in New York. She's originally from Michigan, but she does Ooh. these Midwestern landscapes usually with female figures. Yes. And they're sort of haunting scenes like there'll be like a barn burning in the background with these women baking pies inside the house or you have to check her out. She's just an incredible artist.
1: I I get a sort of a Wyethy feel from her.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with her work?
1: I'm looking at it on another screen. <laughs> oh,
2: it's she. Yeah, check check it out. It's it, it's just great work.
1: Incredibly talented.
2: Oh, amazing! In the
1: skin, good lord.
2: Amazing. And then another local artist who's in Northampton, Mass. is Scott Pryor.
1: Oh, I know Scott Pryor. And
2: he has done one of my favorite paintings of all time, which is which is at the MFA. It's called Nanny and Rose.
1: Oh, I don't know that one.
2: It is a stunning portrait of Nanny and Rose sitting in a, sitting in a little um, nook, a, a screened and porch. It's beautiful. It's an incredible painting. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, that's just a couple. I just... And, where is I mean. Andrea
0: from? I'm sorry? Did you say where Andrea is from?
2: I think she's based in New York City. Yeah,
0: point. I think she looks... Well, I don't know that for sure. And
2: yeah. now I'm...
1: I've gone deep into Scott Pryor here.
2: Oh, Scott Pryor's amazing too. He, His he work does. is
1: beautiful. Um, very much that warm, warm light that you love. Yeah, like.
2: yeah, exactly. Interesting? Exactly. That's
1: interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but boy, my God. It's, it's so dangerous to find all these fabulous artists. Wow. I know. It is. Barney, I'm going to get you figure drawing again.
2: I know I need to.
1: I'm going to get a model into my studio and I'm calling you up and you just have to come in. All right. And we'll do it because it's so much fun to sort of see this. And, you know, I think those influences on our work, you know, you said to make decisions faster and kind of keep Mm -hmm. things looser. I think that's very true. But the other thing, it kind of gets my brain firing up in a good way. Right. I don't know how you... You can't measure what your brain, I mean, I can't measure what my brain's doing. It's jumping too fast. <laughs> but I know that that's the kind of thing that inspires me. But this is
0: great. And we'll put a yeah. timer. You have to do those timed sketches as well.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe we
1: can get Barney to join our figure group. Once yeah, we right Are
2: you both in the same figure drawing cl- group?
1: Well, Paul, Paul Schillenberg's, I know oh, you okay, do.
2: all right, yeah, yeah. Oh, Laura, you're part of that as well.
0: Yeah, occasionally, I try to. Oh, good. oh good. It's good. open door.
1: Barney you can just anybody can jump in yeah. so yeah it'd be fun it, it'd be more fun to paint from the live figure and I feel like this summer we're all going to get to do that again.
2: yeah yeah let's hope yeah.
1: yeah well Barney yes you've done a great job here
2: well I really appreciate you guys you put me at ease and uh you make it so easy to to when be you, interviewed
1: great when, when you love fun. the artist's work it's just a cakewalk you know it's like I well, appreciate let's it. talk about what you do
2: I appreciate that. Thank Next you so
1: time, much. we're going to have you hold up your brushes so we can see
2: <laughs> See the incorrect way I'm holding my brushes? <laughs> Everyone's
0: going to rush to your video now. See, no, that's good. good. Uh, well, thank you again. It's been great. Getting- well, I
2: thank both of you, really, for the opportunity to, to talk about it. I, I really appreciate this. I feel honored. Thank you.
1: Wow. I promise not to to pepper you with items that you should paint,
0: but
2: I've
1: got to say, it looks to me like you need to learn to love Brussels sprouts, that's all I'm saying. Anybody looking at your paintings will understand why.
2: Actually, that painting's a lie, I do like Brussels sprouts, but I know a lot of people don't.
1: <laughs> and anybody who wants to know what we're talking about is gonna have to look at your website. That's right,
2: that's right. But, all
1: right, well, everybody have a good day.
2: All right, you too, thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Laura. Bye, Marnie. Bye-bye.
0: If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on ArtistsOfNewEngland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.